Oh, there it is. All right. And a table. Turn around, look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad you slid in here today. <laughs> I know we've got a, uh, I've had calls from people that were afraid to venture out because of the ice. I'll tell you what it is, is you have a, it, it's really not the ice as much as we had 60 degree weather here a few days ago and when, and it's shell shock. And so everybody's hunkered down because the weather changed so quick. How many of you know that life can change pretty quick? So you've just got to be ready for those changes. Uh, pray for those that are at home. Uh, I pray that they're online. If you are online, don't forget to give on the app online. And uh, you can do that. There's instructions there for you to be able to do that. We're still in our series about treasures of the heart. And this week, we're going to be talking about hidden treasures. Everybody say that with me, hidden treasures. You know, we've always thought about pirates and their treasures and, you know, trying to find buried treasure or searching for sunken treasure. And there are stories that have been told about people finding it. I remember watching a film that had been made based on a true story about a family that had spent their whole life searching for a sunken treasure off the coast of Florida. And they had, they had financed their house away. They'd financed everything. We're up to their ears in hock and trying to find that treasure. And then there was a storm that came in well, actually, they, they found, they, they had located the treasure. They, they pinpointed where they believed the treasure was, and right before they brought it up or they were in the process of bringing it up, a storm hit, and their boat or their, uh, was in dock, and it flipped it upside down. The children were all in that boat. They were older, young adults, and... They'd literally tied themselves to their beds trying not to drown because they couldn't get out of the ship and it filled up and he lost his family. He found $400 million worth of treasure, but he lost his family. And so you have to ask yourself this question, was the sacrifice worth the treasure? In my opinion, it wasn't. How could you sack, you know, nothing's worth your family. And yet, everyone has treasure of some type or another, right? We all have things that we value. Matter of fact, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever had something that you valued? It may have not have been in monetary amount, but sentimental, or it could have been monetary, something that was of great value to you that you lost, Anybody or you misplaced and and what did you do? You you end up searching for it. You you start spending all the time you have trying to locate it. I remember Debbie lost the diamond out of her ring and it was a nice diamond. I'd saved my whole life to get her that diamond. And 
we, we had, couldn't find it, had to report it to the insurance company. And we had already been to a place looking at other rings, but nothing really matched what she'd had and, you know, what, what she was trying to replace. And then I, I think she got excited about a new ring, though. And one morning, I, or that morning, I got up. The next morning, I got up and I was putting my shoe on and I felt a pebble in my shoe, and it was her diamond. And so we were able to get it remounted and hadn't lost it after all. But there are things that we value and there are things that we hold dear. I, I came across a story, it's a true story about a young pastor. They had taken over a church and the church was an older church. It was a beautiful building, but it was in disrepair and needed a lot of work. And, in, the, in October of 1948, they took it over and started repairing it. They wanted to have it fixed for their Christmas Eve service. And they'd spent three months of pouring in labor and getting it together, and it, it looked nice. And then just a day before, a few days before, the Christ, before Christmas, a heavy rain came. They had over a, uh, an inch of rainfall and the roof was leaking. It ended up coming down behind the altar and it soaked the plaster and caused a chunk to fall out of the wall right behind where the pastor was. There was no way that they were going to get it repaired in time. So his heart was, you know, sad and he and his wife had to go to an auction for the youth were raising money and he went to the auction that day and he was just feeling bad about it, thinking, man, I, we worked all this time and couldn't get this, you know, this rain happen and now there's no time to fix it. And as he said in that auction, all of a sudden there was a beautiful laced gold and ivory tablecloth that came up for bid. The thing stretched out over 15 feet. And he got this brilliant idea and he started bidding on that tablecloth and he, he got it for $6.50. Keep in mind, this is from 1948. And he thought, I'm going to take that tablecloth and stretch it over that wall so people won't be able to see it. And Christmas Eve rolled around. It was cold outside and he was getting ready to open the church and prepare for service and it was still some time before service would start and he noticed an older lady sitting across the street at a bus stop and it was bitter cold outside and he knew it'd be another half hour before the bus came and he called to the lady and invited her over to warm up in the church and so she walked over and began to thank him and explain that she really wasn't from that part of town and that she had come over to try and apply for a job. And, but because of her broken English, she had been a war refugee and she didn't speak English well. And so she did not get the job and she was getting ready to go home. And she just sat in the church with her head bowed praying and really wasn't paying attention to the pastor stringing up that tablecloth until she looked up and she saw that tablecloth and she jumped out of her seat and she yelled, it's mine, it's mine. And she went running up and she began to explain her story and that she and her husband had been married years ago and she had 
made this tablecloth for their home, and she'd only used it on special occasions, and she even showed the pastor her initials that she'd embroidered in the corner of the cloth, and he thought, well, I, I've got to give this back to her, and he said, well, you, you know, you take it, and she started telling her story and said, my husband and I lived in Vienna, Austria, and when the Nazis came in, we tried to hold out against them, but my husband finally decided that we needed to flee to Switzerland, and so he said, but we can't go together, and he said, we, I left, and then he was to follow, but word came to me that he died in a concentration camp. And she said, this tablecloth really doesn't hold anything for me. Now I don't need it in, anymore, and it looks good where you have it. And so she said, you keep it, and she walked out, caught the bus, and left. During the candlelight service, that tablecloth glistened in the candlelight, and people commented to the pastor afterwards how beautiful the sanctuary was and how beautiful that cloth had been. And one older man had hung back, and he went up to the pastor and was talking to him, and he said, it's funny, he said, but that tablecloth, he said, it, it looks just like one my wife made. We, we lived in Vienna, Austria, and She'd made it, and she would only use it for special occasions. And the pastor just had chills go over him. And he looked at the man, and he tried to keep his composure, and he began to relate the story of the woman that had just been there. And that man broke, and tears began to run down his eyes. And he said, is it possible that my wife could still be alive? He thought she had died as well. He said, do you know where she went? Do you know? And he said, no, I don't. But he remembered the name of the person that she said that she had applied for the job with. And he called. And as he called, he got her information. And together, the pastor and the old gentleman drove over to the other side of town to a house and knocked on the door. And as the door opened up, he witnessed two hearts coming together again. Strange, isn't it? That something that they had treasured brought their hearts back to each other. A hidden treasure. They'd not known where it had gone, what had become of it, but that treasure brought them back together. The Scripture in Matthew 13 and 44 that says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. It's a beautiful story. The kingdom of heaven is a treasure, but there's not enough money in the world to be able to purchase it. Isaiah describes it this way. He said, Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. That is a description of salvation, of a river that flows. 
And when Isaiah says, come buy it without money and without price, the phrase without price implies that it's priceless, that you can't buy it, you can't obtain it with monetary value. It's something that you've got to go after with all of your heart to acquire it, to acquire the kingdom, you're going to have to make an investment. So what's in your treasure chest? Strange, isn't it? That you'd find a heart in a treasure chest. And how many of you know that the scripture talks about that a man's heart is desperately wicked? <laughs> See? Who can know it? How many of you have ever had your heart just run away with you? Anybody? Oh, come on, be honest. Did you ever do some things you shouldn't have done and it was, it was just you, you got overwhelmed and you did it and... I can tell you why that happens to you is because you're not listening. So what do you mean you're not listening? Well, you have to learn to put ears on your heart. Everybody say, I need ears to hear. Because if you'll put ears on your heart, what you'll discover is your heart won't move until God moves it. Amen. You won't be moved by man. You won't be moved by circumstance. You won't be moved by your situation. But when God speaks, you'll go running to him. Amen. No matter what you're facing, you won't find yourself running away. You won't find yourself overcome. But you'll overcome evil with good when you allow God to speak to your heart. And you say, well, why would you think that the heart would be in a treasure chest because Jesus said it would be. In Matthew 6 and 21, Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So it's important that you understand this. Your treasure doesn't follow your heart. Did you get that? Treasure does not follow your heart. Say it with me, my treasure does not follow my heart. But Jesus said that my heart will follow my treasure. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Well, what's that got to do with us? It is a great insight in serving God. And it shows you how to make it happen. How many of you ever find yourself always in a constant struggle and trying to live your life for God and do it the right way and make sure that, you, you know, and then you've got that battle within you. Paul made the statement, I die daily. How do I make sure that my heart's in the right place? Well, if your heart follows your treasure, then invest where you want your heart to be. Let me try that one more time. Since your heart follows your treasure, make an investment where you want your heart to be. So if you want your heart 
to belong to God. Make an investment. Make an investment of your time. Make an investment of your love. Make an investment of your finance to the king. You have to invest where you want your heart to be. So stay here with me. How many of you know people that, at, that, that there are certain things that they love to do? And it doesn't matter what's going on. I don't care if, you know, if, if their grandmother is laid up in the hospital they're going to go by and say hello to granny and then go on and do what they want to do. Are you with me? Anybody in here know someone like that? Don't point fingers. But I mean, man, if it's like, you know, there are some of us that love to hunt. Everybody say hunt. And we, we, we want to hunt. And so we treasure that and we value that there are others that love to yard sale. How many of you ladies are waiting for warm weather to break, man? You go get the newspaper and you get out an Atlas roadmap and you start plotting your course and your strategy. There's a, look, man, there is a yard sale down where we live at that's called the 100-mile yard sale. For 100 miles in that vicinity, it's nothing but yard sale. Woo, somebody got happy. Because <laughs> your treasure's there. So we have to learn that where we invest, that's where our heart's going to wind up. I've known people that have had hobbies that just took all their time. I know a guy, and I'm not talking about you, Gary, but I know another guy that has got a, a, an incredible train set. And Gary's got one, too. He may sell you a ticket to come down to his basement and look at it. But, but the, I know this guy's got an incredible train set, and and, and he's got it set up in, in uh, his, like, rec room or whatever you want to call it, his man uh, cave. It's, it's, uh, it's not Sam either. But it is, it is, man, there has got to be thousands upon thousands of dollars that he's got invested in that train. I think there's like six different trains that are running on that track. My wife got me one for Christmas. I was so excited until I went and found out how much it cost to add track, to buy a little tree to put along the track, to buy a little house. So I thought, man, alive. How many of you have ever had a hobby you just couldn't afford? How many of you have ever had a habit you couldn't afford? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? And so we invest. And we invest. It's amazing what we're capable of doing when we want something bad enough. Everybody say bad enough. I have been in the most remote places you can imagine in third, third world countries. No pavement, no, no, no telephones, no electricity. And I'll pull up and I pull up to stick huts and there's a satellite antenna. 
and they've got a generator and they can't drive. There's no car. There's no refrigeration. But, buddy, they can watch the prices right when they're ready. <laughs> it's what you value. Everybody say what I value. And so you've got to ask yourself that question. Now, here's what you need to realize. You have to invest wisely or it could cost you dearly. Amen. How many of you have ever made a bad investment? Wave your hand if you've ever made a bad investment. You know, I thought for sure eight-track tapes were going to be all the rage. See, some people, what's an eight-track? And, and man, they're gone. Everybody say, they're gone. And I thought I had an Elvis Presley album collection. 60-plus albums of Elvis. Me and Elvis could rock all night long. I sold them. I didn't think the phonograph was ever going to come back. I sold every one of them. I thought, well, Elvis, there's no need for me and you to hang out in blue suede shoes if we can't hear you, you know. And so I just sold them, got rid of them all. And now the phonograph has come back. But the eight-track tape is still gone. You have to choose wisely what you're investing in. Everybody say a wise investment. I've known people that have invested years and years in a job or career, climbing the corporate ladder. And they were so focused and, and, and they were so honed in on that job or that career that they made it to the top. But when they got there, they found themselves all alone. Because while they were investing in that career, they were letting their family go. There's nothing wrong with getting to the top. You just need to make sure that you don't make the trip alone. Amen. Others that invest in... Everybody say physical body. Gonna pump me up. What are you laughing about? Now hear me. There's nothing wrong with investing in my physical body. As a matter of fact, that's important. It'll help me live longer. Everybody say, you're going to live longer. You do a lot better to curl weights than Cheetos. It'll help me live longer. But if I forsake my spiritual man while I'm concentrated on my fleshly man. Do you understand? My, taking care of my physical body will help me live longer, but taking care of my spiritual man is going to determine where I live for eternity. And so, and, and here's the deal, is we get this mindset, well, you have to choose one or the other. Why can't you have both? There are ball players. Look at Tim Tebow. 
that refused to let go of his faith. Well, but pastor, it cost him his career. No, it hasn't. He's still doing what he loves to do, and he's making sure that when he gets to the top, Jesus is already there. It's important what kind of investments we make. You remember Thai babies? Do you remember when those rascals were selling for like 30 and 40 bucks a pop? Now you see them in Goodwill, yard sales, Dollar General, trash cans, any, everywhere. Remember Cabbage Patch? Remember Tickle Me Elmo? Remember people, remember when the bug came back out, the new bug? I knew a guy that was buying them retail and then selling them for about seven grand over retail. But it lasted for only a season. The scripture says, don't, as a matter of fact, the scripture that talked about where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Jesus takes the time to explain to us to make a wise investment about what your treasure is. He said, don't lay up treasure for yourself where moth and rust corrupts and thieves break through and steal. He said, let your treasure be things that moths can't get, rust can't, or, you know, that won't rust and where thieves can't get to. Lay up treasure for yourselves in heaven. Everybody say heaven. He didn't say not to make money here. He didn't say not to invest wisely here. He just said, be careful that you're not doing one without the other. How many of you know a girl named Rahab? Remember? You remember her story? Her job description, prostitute. And she was a good one. How do you know that? Because she had a constant line of men coming to her house. So her job career, she got to the top of it. She had to be the best prostitute in town. Her physical body, look man, her physical body determined the success she had in her career. So this girl didn't just let herself go. She had taken care of herself so she could attract others. But one day, she realized that everything she had worked for was going to be gone in a moment, in an instant. And she took a risk, and she made an investment instead of in herself. She made an investment in her faith toward God. And when those men came in, she hid them at the risk of her life. She took those spies and hid them in her, or hid them up, up on her roof. She lied to the magistrates of the city about where they were. And then she took a gamble and she looked and she asked God, not just for her life, but for the lives of her family. Can I tell you that all she had attained in this world wasn't worth what she was going to lose out with if she didn't make that investment? Who would have ever believed? 
Who would have ever believed that a prostitute was going to be the reason that her family got saved? Oh, you're not in the house today. Do you understand? Don't let people sell you off. Don't let people sell you short. Don't let them look at you and say you're never going to be anything. Do you understand that if you make an investment in God, God, my friend, is making an investment in you, and he can turn your life around. Billy Graham, right before he died, he was being interviewed, and he said... The first thing I'm going to do when I get to heaven is ask God why he chose me. He said, I'm, I'm just an old country boy. Wasn't anything special about me. And he said, I want to find out why he chose me. He said, because I believe that I was chosen you got to start believing in what God called you to. You've got to start believing that you've got a purpose and that God's got a plan for your life. Don't write it off. Make an investment and treasure it. She made an investment in faith at the risk of her life and ended up being in the hall of faith in the book of Hebrews. Ended up being in the genealogy of Jesus himself. She ends up being the great-great-grandmother of King David. How? How's that possible? How could a prostitute rise to that pinnacle in her life? Because she invested her treasure where she wanted her heart to be, right with God. Amen. How many of you today want your heart to be right with God? Come on, put your hands together if that's what you want. Your heart right with God. I've met folks get, that could talk a good game. I've had people talk to me about how, how much they love, you know, love God, wanted to live for God. Wanted to. I said, I hear what you're saying. There's only one problem with it. Your actions don't show it. Amen. Where your treasure is. That's where you're heart will be. And don't think that God's not looking in that treasure chest. <laughs> where your treasure is, it's where your heart will be. And it's important, not just for you, but it's important for your family. David didn't produce Rahab. Rahab produced David. Are you getting what I'm saying? We look at King David, a man that's after God's own heart, and then we look at the genealogy, and oh, you know, she was in there with David, and we think in our mind that David produced her. No. Rahab produced David, and some of her DNA shows up in David's life. How do you know that? Because of what David chose to invest in. The scripture said that he's a man that's after God's own heart. Now, did David ever mess up? Sure he did. But listen to me. When your treasure is in the right place, your heart will get there eventually. Are, are you hearing what I'm saying? If your that's what, let, let me talk to you about marriage for just a second because people say, well, I don't love her anymore. I don't love him anymore. That's no big deal. What do you mean that's no big deal? 
make an investment. Spend some time. Now, listen, the scripture says, if the foundation be destroyed, what shall we do? So if I love God and my wife is saying, look, it's my way or the highway, I'm not doing this God stuff with you. Well, I'm hanging on to God. That's why you need to thank God when your wife loves him. You need to thank God when your husband loves him. Because your treasure is in the same chest. So David gets in trouble. He numbers Israel, which was forbidden. And when he numbers Israel, judgment comes. There's an angel that has a sword stretched out over Jerusalem. God allows David to see it. He opens David's eyes and David sees the angel. And watch David's heart. David saw the angel with the sword stretched out over Jerusalem and he said, God, don't make these innocent people pay for my sin. Cause this judgment to come on me and my family, but don't make them pay. That's something missing in our society today. Something missing in our culture today is taking responsibility and saying, it's my fault, I'm, I'm to blame. And yet when God heard that come from David's heart, God sent a prophet to David and he stopped that angel and he sent that prophet to David and said, you go and offer me a sacrifice at this threshing floor. And David goes down to the owner and he says, I need to buy your threshing floor. I, I've got an offer a sacrifice to stop this plague. And the owner of the threshing floor is thinking, man, if it'll stop the plague, you can have the floor. You can have the animals. I'll provide everything. Listen to David's words. He said, no, I'm going to buy it from you at a price because I will not offer God that which does not cost me. God's not looking for a cheapskate. God's not looking for someone that's trying to get out. He's looking for someone that wants to get in. He's looking for someone whose heart is knit to his He's looking for someone that will love him. David needs to make an investment. And David's saying, I'm gotten, I am not going to try and cheat God out of my time, my finances, or my love. I will not offer God that which does not cost me. Everybody in here came into this world through parents. Everybody say parents. The only difference is how we would describe our parents. My, how many of you know that every child is different? You heard me talk about my brothers and, you know, Paul grew up telling everybody that he was abused. Daryl and I grew up thinking, what are you talking about? We were in the same house and Daryl finally looked at Paul one day and said, Paul, you weren't abused, you were just stupid. 
He said, you just couldn't keep your mouth shut. He said, when dad would say something to you, you kept talking and talking. And, and my brother, I remember my brother Darrell be saying, Paul, shut your mouth, man. Shut your mouth. Dad's getting mad. Shut your mouth, Paul. And Paul would keep going until finally dad did get angry. And then he'd whip him and abused in his mind. I, I will say this, that my dad probably didn't understand fully that every child is different. My brother would prefer doing housework. Paul would have preferred doing housework with mom than digging out the basement with dad. It's not that he couldn't, it's that his heart wasn't there. And there was that, that always caused friction. We were in the middle of digging this basement out and, you know, and I, I was five years younger than Paul and six years younger than Daryl, so I was just a, a boy, but I was down there digging and shoveling, and, and, and Paul didn't want to be there, and we'd get these wheelbarrows full of dirt, and we'd go to take them out, and man, I couldn't handle, I could, I tried to, but it was so hard for me to try and handle one of those big barrels of dirt. They probably weighed as much as I did, but Paul was bigger, and, and, and my brother looked at him some, one time, and he said, come on, Paul. Put some of that heft behind that. And boy, it made him mad. And I thought he's going to rip the door off getting that wheelbarrow out of there. So he had it in him when he wanted to use it. <laughs> Paul looked at me one time and he said, you need to clean your room up. I looked at him and said, you need to shut your mouth. <laughs> I was a kid, okay? We were brothers, you know, he's... You need, to, you need to get in there and clean your room up. Shut up, man. Just. Paul was never, you know, given to violence. He was that day. <laughs> I said that and he jumped on me and I thought, ha! He's a lot bigger than I was, but I, was, I thought I ain't going out without a fight. And I reached up and popped him and he started crying. Why? It's not because it hurt that bad. It's because that's not where his heart was. Paul wasn't a scrapper. But when he got pushed into it, or he got overwhelmed by things, he'd become one. Sometimes as parents, we forget that we have to make an investment with our children. Amen. So with Jonathan, I would take him hunting. He wanted to go deer hunting. He loved deer hunting. I'm just going to be honest with you. I wasn't that much into it when I started. I mean, because I went. It's 28 degrees out here. I'm sitting in this deer stand thinking, what am I doing? <laughs> Trying to warm up. And, you know, and you have to be alert. And I was, I, I opened my eye just in time to see a big buck go by. And I thought, I can't believe I just missed that. And I'm trying to talk to my son, and he's on the ground. And, and he, so I can't get his attention, so I'm taking acorns and tossing over his way. He's sleeping, man. He's all, I thought you wanted to come out here, you're asleep on the, like the acorns. I ran out of acorns, I picked up a rock. The rock hit him. <laughs> I guess I missed with all those acorns. There's something about that rock. It, it, it wasn't a big rock, folks. It's just a little <laughs> rock. It, 
and I tossed it over there, and it, it popped him on the head, and he, he, he goes, <laughs> he's looking into trees. <laughs> I never said a word. I said, I looked at him, and I said, there's a big buck coming by. There's a big buck coming by. Those are memories that we have when we talk about now, and we'll laugh and laugh. He got lost in the woods, and, and he, he hollered, Dad. And I didn't say anything. What are you doing walking around in the woods, man? We're hunting deer. And he's walking around. He goes, Dad, Dad. And I, I wouldn't say a word. I thought, I'm not giving away my position. And then I began to think, he may, he may run a deer toward me. <laughs> I didn't realize what was in his heart. In his heart, he was lost. But he didn't know that his father knew right where he was at. Ever been there? When he cried out, Daddy, it got my attention. And I said, what is it, son? He said, I'm lost. I said, just keep following my voice. You're fine. Just follow my voice out. Get you out of here. And so he started walking along and, Dad, Dad, I said, just follow my voice. And then all of a sudden, a gun went off. Jonathan, Jonathan, are you all right? Jonathan, Jonathan, what? Are you okay? Yeah. Why did you fire that gun? Because I couldn't hear your voice very loud. How many of you know paybacks are rough? <laughs> and my heart and his heart were knit together in the woods. But now Bethany didn't care anything about going into the woods and trying to shoot a deer. You don't just write her off. You don't just say, no, but Bethany and I were very close. Well, how did you make investments with your daughter? Christmas. She loved Christmas time. And I tried to make it special. The truth was I love Christmas too. So I would build villages and we would sing songs and I'd grab her and dance her around in the living room to Johnny Mathis. It's a marshmallow world. And she grew up and we would watch White Christmas in July. She still does that. Her husband came to me and said, thanks a lot, Dad. We've watched that like three times this past week. But it's a memory. It's something that she holds dear. You see, when you build relationship with your father, there are things that you're going to come to treasure and value about him. You say, well, pastor, I wish I'd had that type of experience with my dad. I wish my dad would have made an investment in my life, but instead he, he withdrew from my life, his words and his actions. And I've got some good news for you today. Your real father, not the one that had a relationship with your mother that you were the result of, 
I'm talking about the father that knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. I'm talking about the father that loved you when you were unlovable, the father that called you with power and purpose. The father I'm speaking of loves you more than you could ever know and made the greatest investment into your life that anyone could ever make. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now listen, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. What an investment. The scripture says in John 15 and 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. The question is, will you treasure him the way he treasures you? Or do you not understand love the way he understands love? Roll that clip for me, please. Love. 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 Love in this world is pretty messed up. It asks for a lot and it never returns the favor. Love in my world? Well, it brings more trouble than it's worth. In my world, love has felt like... Sabotage. It flees into the night. It, it, it leaves at the first sign of trouble. And it never feels like, I love you no matter what. Because love in my world, it leaves. And when it leaves, there's only disaster left. Oh, promise is a lot, but it doesn't deliver much. It breaks hearts. I've picked up the pieces of my broken heart one too many times. So I build walls. Love isn't worth the tears. The pain, the loneliness. The surrender. It's exhausting. Even when you try to do love right, love fails. I have made a mess out of love. What good is it? You can't help me. Why love at all? Why do I even try to love? Why sacrifice to carry the burden? Why? 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 Because there is a perfect love. Perfect love that can end the disaster. A perfect love that can heal the brokenhearted. There is a love that saved those who are dwelling in this messed up world. God tells us about it because we wouldn't recognize it if it showed up on our own doorstep. It's a love that takes its time. It's profound. It doesn't brag or badmouth. God's love is like a shield that we know will never leave us. That you can trust. Hoping. And you never, ever exhaust it. That's his kind of love. And it never fails. And while we were keeping records of wrongs and self-seeking and being unkind, he still died for us. How can I love like that? How can I love like that? How can I love like that? Because I am loved like that. I can love well, not because of me, 
but because he first loved me. Your experience or definition of love may have been what they talked about at the first. Broken hearted, you always give and never get back. But that's not how God loves. As a matter of fact, in Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, For I know plans I have for you. They're plans for good and not disaster to give you a future and a hope. When we make him our treasure, he overwhelms us. Isaiah 61 and 10 says, I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in robes of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. God is watching and he's listening to what we treasure. In Malachi 3 and 16, he says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other, And the Lord listened to what they said. In his presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him always and thought about the honor of his name. They will be my people, says the Lord. On that day when I act in judgment, they will be my own special treasure. I will spare them as a father spares an obedient child. Then you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked between those who serve God and those who do not. Why don't you make an investment? An investment of your life in Christ today. Make Jesus the center of your world. And then you're going to discover that your treasure and your heart can become one in him. Would you stand with me today? My father-in-law was my pastor for years, and he always had this saying. He'd say, you know, it's hard to serve God easy, but it's easy to serve him hard. If that's not where your treasure's at, if I'm not talking about coming to church. I'm just telling you that when the reason I go to church is because I value him. I treasure him. But if they outlawed church like they did in so many nations, I'm not going to stop meeting with him. I was with a group of men in 1991 going into Russia just shortly after tanks had been on the Red Square. And we went in and we were bringing winds of change crusading. I noticed something about some of the guys that went with me. They went in with an attitude, we're going to show you how it's done. And I was talking to him, and I think it was lunch one day or on a bus ride, and I said, guys, I said, some of these folks have been arrested, thrown in jail for preaching. They have loved ones that have been put to death for embracing God. 
it just might be that they could show us how it's done. Don't treasure how you do it. Treasure who he is. A pearl of great price. A treasure hidden in a field that you're willing to sell everything you have to obtain. A treasure that you're willing to sell out for. Everyone won't understand you. But then again, I'm not trying to please everyone. I just want to please him. Some folks will look and they'll say, oh, that's just a fad they're going through. I had a friend that got saved and they said, that's just another drug he's trying. He'd been strung out on so many drugs. They thought that's just another drug, but when it didn't wear off, mama got saved. (laughs) When it didn't wear off, his friends began to hear him. Just hold on to him. Said, don't be weary in well-doing, for in due season you're going to reap if you faint not. I wonder what it'll be like when I get home. Billy Graham said, there's just one person I want to see first, and I want to ask a question. Why me? There were two college teams and they were playing a softball game and I'm going to end with this. They were in a tournament. It was the end of the season. It was a tournament. I can't recall the teams now. I can give it to you later if you want it. So one team had sluggers on it and they were up to bat. But the girl that was up to bat, her name was Sarah. I remember that. She wasn't a slugger. Matter of fact, her batting average had been like 151 that year. The only reason she was in the game is because their star right fielder had flubbed up a play, and so they put her in. It was her at bat. And like any kid's dream, man, championship game, this could win it for him. And she swung that bat and sent that ball out of the park. She was so excited, she ran around the bases and missed first. They called her back, the coach called her back and she turned around to go back and as she touched first base, she twisted and something popped in her knee and she went down, doubled up, holding her knee in agony. The rules state that if any of your teammates assist you around the bases, it's an automatic out. They were trying to figure out what to do. She's asking the first base coach what to do, and the first base coach is looking at the ump, and the umps have gathered on the field trying to figure out what they ought to do, and there were people in the stands yelling, get her off the field, and she doesn't circle those bases. They lose that game and help came from an unexpected source the opposing team's first baseman walked over to the ump and said can I help her across the bases the umps looked at her and 
one of them said, well, go ahead. And she called to the second baseman and they got an arm and a leg and they carried her around. They paused at second long enough for her to be able to let down a foot and touch it. And they carried her to third and repeated it and took her all the way home. And her whole team was waiting for her cheering there. Why would the first baseman help her? It was going to cost her something. Why would he help us when he would have to pay dearly for it? Because without his help, I can't make it home. And because of what he did for me, we love him because he first loved us. Because of what he did for me, there's a treasure that I hold, and that treasure holds my heart. His name is Jesus. Amen. Come on and let's love him today. We worship you, Father. I want to encourage you today that if you have never accepted Christ as your Lord, to get ready to do that right now. And if you have, but you're like that church in the book of Revelation that he said, I've got just a little bit of something against you. You've left your first love. Can I be real transparent with you? There are times that I take inventory of my life and my heart, and I pray, God, please, don't ever let me get lax or indifferent or cold in my love to you. Because I remember what it was like when I first got saved. I remember what it was like when I first heard him call me. I remember what it was like that night in a living room, bending and praying and asking him, please show me your word. I remember feeling like a wind and him overwhelming me. Don't let anybody ever tell you that you have to lose that. Don't let anybody ever convince you that, well, after you've been living for them for a while, you know, it just gets old hat and it's just a routine. Not as long as he's my treasure and he holds my heart. That doesn't ever have to happen. I'm going to ask you to join me in the front of the building today. I'm not going to hold you long, but if you would just move forward with me. I know we've got, whether Debbie's doing a class right now called The Witness Stand, and I know this time of year is always a struggle because of weather and challenges like that, but I want you to hear what I'm going to say to you. For every seat that's empty next to you, there's a person that needs God, a person that you know a person in your life, a person in your world 
don't look to me to go after your harvest. You have to love enough and value enough and treasure him enough to go after them on your own. I had folks that thought I was crazy. I had people that tried to shut me down and shut me up. But I had others that heard what I was saying and said yes to him. You don't have an enemy that you hate so bad that you want to see them in hell. Show them your hidden treasure. Talk is cheap, but if they can see my heart, if they can hear my heart, if he's my treasure, they'll hear him. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I want you to think of someone right now. I don't want this to be a shot in the dark. I want you to think of someone right now that you know that if something doesn't change in their life, they're not going to make heaven. Now I want you to take it a step further and I want you to ask God to use you to introduce him so they can have that treasure as well. Don't let pride get in the way. I've talked to a lot of folks that said, I wish I would have. Debbie's teaching a class, teaching us not to let fear get in the way. When I first married this girl, come up here just a second. I probably, I'm not going to hold you on. When I first married this girl, she was almost embarrassed at me. I'd put a bullhorn on their, in the back of my Jeep and drive around. Her mom said, well, we can do it on our doorstep. She got out her accordion and started playing and said, Debbie, honey, come out here and let's sing together. On her doorstep, Debbie's mom, I don't want to get out there. I, her doorstep, man. I watched something happen to her. When I was, I, when I, I had that experience of a double portion and they took me home and I didn't know who I was or what I was, she, she, they were talking to the evangelist and saying, is he ever going to get right again? Is, he, is his mind ever going to come back right? It was, look, I'm just telling you, you, got, you had to be there. I watched something happen and I remember we were in Mississippi in a steakhouse and she looked at me and she said, go on out. She talked about going out. She's giving me the brush off, go, go on out. She, God was dealing with her to talk to someone and and I said, okay, and I, I went out and I waited in the car and after a while she came out and she had a big smile on her face and she had said, God, if it's really your will for me to talk to her, then let her, what was it, let her 
come back in alone or and and she did and Debbie led her to the Lord and it so ignited something in her heart that she's been doing it ever since hundreds of people every year not from a pulpit from a platform called the platform of life you've got that platform too what do you say we use it to reveal a hidden treasure come on let's give him a hand clap of praise in this house today stretch your hands to heaven with me right now father we come to you and we ask you to ignite a fire in our heart that will cause us to share you wherever we go we love you so much we value you so much and like a person that's found buried treasure we want to tell it everywhere we go like a man that found a pearl of great price we want to show it to the world give us the courage give us the words give us the ability to reveal this hidden treasure in Jesus name come on give my hand clap of praise in here today take it all, take it all.